1: I'm Emily Day, and this is an episode from the Lawfare Archives for October 23rd, 2021. Earlier this week, a federal judge ruled that the detention of a former Afghan militant at the Guantanamo Bay detention camp was unlawful. This marks the first time in 10 years that a detainee at Guantanamo Bay has won a habeas petition, despite a 2008 Supreme Court ruling affirming that Guantanamo Bay detainees had the right to habeas corpus. For this week, I chose an episode from February 25th, 2017, in which Benjamin Wittes sat down with Paul Lewis, the Department of Defense's special envoy for Guantanamo closure under the Obama administration, to discuss his experience in the position, why Obama failed to close Guantanamo, and what will happen with Gitmo under Trump. I'm Clara Hendrickson, and I am a friend of Lawfare who knows nothing about national security. This is the Lawfare Podcast, February 25th, 2017. Until a few weeks ago, Paul Lewis served as the Department of Defense's Special Envoy for Guantanamo Closure, working through the last days of the Obama administration to facilitate the transfer and release of Guantanamo detainees away from the prison. Thanks in large part to his work, Gitmo currently houses only 41 detainees. But the Trump administration has promised to halt any further transfers and may plan to bring future ISIS detainees to the detention center. With that in mind, Benjamin Wittes sat down with Paul to chat about his time as Special Envoy, President Obama's failure to close a prison, and what comes next for Guantanamo. It's the Lawfare Podcast, episode number 210, Paul Lewis on not closing Guantanamo.
0: So, Paul, you are not in office and Guantanamo is still there. Uh... Let's let's start with that.
2: I, uh, I think that's a fact. I don't think that can be considered an alternative fact. I think that's a fact that we can all agree on. It's still we, open.
0: How do you feel about it?
2: Um, I wish we had closed it. Um, we came close, but I feel good about what we did. We reduced the population to 41, and of those, only five are currently eligible. And I think that's a good record.
0: So let's go over the record. Uh, sure. The president former president now, came in promising to close Guantanamo. Uh, What was the population like then uh, that it then came down to 41? uh, And uh, what was your role in all of that?
2: There's about 240, uh, 242 to 246, um, depending on how you count, and that's always an issue. But about, let's say, 242 when the former president started. Uh, I had two roles. Um, I was the general counsel for Adam Smith for a while in the Hask, and that was a very important issue for uh, Congressman Smith. I spent more than half my time as general counsel on detention issues, and he felt it was very important. He agreed with the president. So I worked with him. And then in the end of 2013, the White House asked me to uh, become the special envoy at DOD, so in that role, my primary uh, function was to, to help reduce the population by transferring the detainees that were eligible. And I know you're familiar with the process, and we can talk about what makes a detainee eligible. Yeah, but, so the, I'm familiar, yep. but the
0: listenership yep. may yep. not be. So right. let's walk through it. Sure. Uh, there's a perception, and it was right. certainly uh, 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 stoked by uh, a lot of the opponents of Guantanamo closure and and including the now incumbent president, uh, that this was a willy-nilly process of setting people free so that they could then turn around and blow things up. Um, what actually was the process for uh, transfers, eligibility for transfers and uh, actually effectuating transfers sort of walk us through it?
2: Sure. Well the policy was, that both administrations that had control of Gitmo um, detaining prisoners um, since 2002 came to the conclusion that Gitmo hurt us more than helped us in various reasons, cost, uh, radicalizing uh, the bad guys, um, hurting us with our allies. President Obama made a moral argument. But what I think is important is both administrations came to that conclusion. By the end of his term, President Bush felt that Gitmo should be closed. Every Secretary of Defense and every Secretary of State came to the same conclusion, including Donald Rumsfeld, who said Gitmo should be closed. He just didn't know where uh, the remaining detainees should go, but he felt it should be closed. So that was the policy determination. How we affected it was um, early in the Obama administration, there was a review process that put the detainees in categories um, eligible for transfer if we could reach safe security assurances. eligible for prosecution, so they would go into the military commissions bucket, and then those that um, at that time felt could not be transferred. Um, So I focused on those that were determined to be eligible for transfer. And what we looked at was seeing um, through policy, number one, and then through statute, if we could safely transfer those detainees, either back to their home country. And as you know, there are a lot of Yemenis who could not go back to Yemen, it's basically a failed state, and they, Yemen, for whatever reason, could not provide the security assurances. So we looked for a detainee who we felt, you know, the, the, there's always a risk of detaining, uh, of transferring a detainee, but that the risk could be substantially mitigated, that was the statutory term, by assurances. What are the assurances? We looked at the country, either the home country or a third country, over 30 nations that stepped in to take Gitmo detainees that weren't theirs. Um, could they follow them? So they were were not going to be detained as they were in Gitmo, so various different permutations per country. But could they let us – could they follow them? Could they keep them from traveling across the borders, taking their passports, making their ID cards of the sort where they couldn't travel? Would they let us know what's going on, which is very important. A lot of countries um, want to work with us but don't necessarily share information – And then finally, either rehabilitate, integrate or reintegrate the detainee into the society. So, for instance, if we are sending a a Yemeni to a third country, language lessons, employment opportunities, um, will they set them up in an apartment, that sort of thing, so that it's going to work. Um, So those are what we looked at. We looked at the detainee, what his mindset was. Uh, we looked at the country, their capabilities, their security environment, and tried to, to find a mix that worked.
0: All right. So many listeners will be aware of uh, the story this week that broke about one uh, Guantanamo detainee where this process did not work. Now, this was before Ural's time. This release was significantly before Ural's time uh, in, uh, in office. Uh, but it's a pretty awful situation, right? A detainee gets released and uh, there's a suicide bombing in Mosul that he clearly played a role in or seems to have played a role That's my in. understanding. Uh, so first of all, uh, what is your understanding of the specific case? And uh, to what extent does it keep you up at night, the fact that uh, – tomorrow we may read such a story about one or more of the people that, that you helped get out of Gitmo?
2: So so my understanding is based on the public record. I don't have access to classified evidence anymore. And this was done in the previous administration. Um, both secretaries who ultimately had to make the, the decision um, to implement the president's policy decision to close Gitmo by transferring detainees, in which both the Secretary supported, they had to make the decision if it was worth taking a risk to transfer a detainee, knowing that there are no guarantees that a detainee could go back to the fight. And that's the most important decision they had to make, whether this was a reasonable decision to make. And you've heard Secretary Hagel uh, recently, he's he's spoken publicly about his transfer decisions. He's took it very seriously. I can tell you the Secretary of Defense with all the issues he had to deal with in the world, spent a long, long amount of time thinking about Gitmo transfers. He wanted to do the right thing. And you've heard Secretary Carter say that he wanted to transfer, but he wanted to do it safely. So we wanted to do the right thing, but it was with the underlying um, presumption that if we did not transfer people, that was also a risk. We can't quantify the number of people who have been radicalized by the concept of Gitmo. But the thought was that there's a risk of transferring, but there's a risk of not transferring. So we tried to do it carefully based on the advice of professionals, the Department of of Justice, Homeland Defense, Homeland Security, um, the intelligence community, the Joint Staff, State, and Defense. All career people looked at this and came up to us with policy recommendations. And if if I agreed, I'd make a recommendation to the secretary. So, yes, it does keep me up at night, the fact that somebody could leave Gitmo and go back to the fight. But I'm also confident that we made the right decision in the cases that we transferred. And as you know, the number who have gone back to the fight that's confirmed under the um, um, decision process in the Obama administration was much less.
0: Much less than in the previous administration. Now, what do you attribute that to? So, I I, I, the data are very clear on that. Mm -hmm. I can think of several possible explanations. One is that Ural's releases have just had less time, and that they're um, uh, they're you know they've been out for at most seven, eight years. Uh, Some of the Bush administration releases, like this guy uh, this week, have been out since 2004 or 2003 or something. And so he's had sort of a lot more time to think about, well, gee, maybe it's time to re-engage. Second possibility, um, the Bush administration really did a whole lot of bulk releases of which – This guy is an example, right? The British government, Tony Blair, wanted British detainees back. He asked Bush for the British detainees. He got all of them. Uh, Eventually. Eventually. Um, The Saudis, we released in large numbers essentially all of the non-military commission destined Saudi detainees – over a relatively short space of time when they set up their, their uh, uh, rehabilitation program. Uh, and similarly, there were some pretty substantial bulk releases of Afghans. Um, your approach was different, which was sort of highly individualized review of the specific detainee. So maybe that's part of the explanation. Maybe part of the explanation as well is uh, that the countries to which you guys were releasing people involved very particularized understandings that tended to isolate people from the communities that uh, were, you know, inclined to radicalize them. So I'm just sort of interested in your thoughts, like what's – it would be a dubious distinction but Are you guys gonna catch up to the Bush administration people in the number that go back to the fight? Um, I mean, it's not a distinction of race you want to win obviously, but um, or is this or is there something different about the review you guys are were doing that you make you confident that your the rates during the Obama administration will stay lower?
2: Yeah I hope and I don't think we're going to catch up to the numbers of the previous administration. Um, I think there's something to each of the, um, issues you raised. Certainly um, the in- intel community says it takes a number of years, whether it's two years, three years, four years, to really see if a transfer is going to result in a reengagement or a successful um, settling into a country. So yeah, the, the the jury's out on some of the transfers. But um, the Obama process was different. As, as you said, a lot of the Bush transfers were, were bulk to large countries, groups of 10, 20, 30. Um, and while there was individualized review, it wasn't to the level of scrutiny under the Obama process. So the, uh, under the Obama process, it was both individualized and they had greater access to information. Most of the transfer decisions under the Bush administration, the bulk of the work was done by by DOD. And they had a lot of information, but they didn't have everything. So under the Obama administration, We've got a lot of the intel community records that we didn't have, some of the diplomatic records, things like that, so it was a broader base of information. Um, the timing was different since it was individualized. It could be worked out in a way that, was, um, that worked to that, to that country's requirements and our requirements, and sometimes the sequencing would be um, a transfer that happened right away. There were other transfers that we worked on for over a year. For, for years and years. And then I think your third factor is true as well, the particularized um, decision-making process of unique countries. Um, you saw under Obama, um, we tried to think outside the box and make some transfers to countries. That you we put somebody in Palau, it's yes, pretty hard to yes. re-engage, right? Yes, yeah, but it, it's, it would take a logistical effort to, to leave Palau. Um, other countries, we we, uh, we went to South America, but as you, I think you saw towards the end, we were going back to the United Arab Emirates, Oman, and Saudi Arabia, which basically uh, my colleagues at state, Lee Woloski, and my colleagues in the intel community, and I, we could go up and tell the Hill we have confidence in these programs. Oman took 30. They patterned their program after Saudi Arabia, um, and we had confidence in it. And I think uh, you know, that the, the Hill... Even the members that didn't like transfers felt that we were transferring to the best countries that we could. Um, So a combination of those three countries that we considered to be trusted partners that were really helping out the president, they didn't have to. Um, The Saudis, up until um, uh, the very end of the Obama administration, only took Saudis. And at the strong encouragement of the president and Secretary Kerry, um, they took Yemenis and broadened their program Um, again. We'll see how that works, but I can tell you it's to their benefit to make it work. Um, Right,
0: because they got them now. Yes,
2: so I think there's something to all that you said, but I I think we had a good process. Um, As you can see, we didn't transfer everybody. There are 26 that are at Gitmo right now who are not eligible, and they were continued to be as continuing, they were considered to be a continuing significant threat when they were reviewed by the executive order process that Obama had. And that's another thing. It's no longer indefinite detention without some sort of review. There was review under Bush, but there's a systematized process under, executive, under an Obama executive order where every one of the detainees was looked at to see if they were a continuing threat. So it was no longer a legal black hole, which is important to many folks in the human rights community. Uh, they don't think it's perfect, but certainly there is a review process in which lawyers are involved now, lawyers of, of the detainees
1: Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
0: So one area where I have kind of had a lot of ongoing frustration with the human rights community is their insistence uh, on describing as cleared Everybody who was okayed for transfer, and a lot of the press does this too. You know that, you know, you have a detainee who's been there for years, who lost, uh, uh, who had a CSRT, a Combatant Status Review Tribunal that found him detainable who had multiple rounds of review that found him detainable and who had a habeas corpus case in which he is found to be uh, 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 legitimately detained as an unlawful enemy belligerent. And then you guys come along and you guys uh, approve. You guys meaning
2: Obama? uh,
0: Well, the the sort of PRB-level review, right? Excellent, yes. And... The, the PRB uh, approves this person for transfer subject to a bunch of conditions that are right. then met. And the person is then moved overseas. Right. And I have no problem with this process. I look at this process and I say that's exactly how you would want the system to work. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, the person is found to be detainable. A court finds that he's de- Uh, that that detention is is reasonable and lawful. You have multiple rounds of review that all don't find that there are conditions under which you could release them. And then you find at some point that there is a review process that says, hey, there is a set of conditions in which you could release the person. And here they are. And then those conditions are met and the person's transferred. And all that strikes me as... Very reasonable process, and in no sense does it constitute that person being cleared, right? It constitutes a prudential judgment that at this point, seven fifteen years, sixteen years, seventeen years out of nine eleven we're in a position to make a different accommodation set of really a, 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 of of arrangements for this person. And so I'm interested in as somebody who worked this issue from the hillside from the administration side who had to get secretaries of defense to sign the thing saying i'm okay i just want what what does it mean when some late stage review process says okay these these are it's we can let this person go under a certain set of conditions how should we understand what that judgment reflects about the Obama administration's understanding of who this person is?
2: It means that the detainee can be safely transferred. It doesn't mean that at one point they weren't a threat to the United States or a risk. Um, I agree with what you're saying. Um, After a review by the judicial process um, that came about after years and years of litigation, uh, the courts determined that the detainees that are at Gitmo right now are lawfully detained. Um, if you use force, as DOD does, you you also have a right to detain people. You have a right to keep the enemy off the battlefield. Doesn't mean they're a war criminal. It doesn't make any presumption like that. It's it's a determination that they were engaged in hostilities against the United States, and under international law, and under our domestic um, statutory authority, we can keep the enemy off the battlefield. What it means is that. At the point of time where a transfer was approved by the secretary, the secretary, in the best judgment of the national security leadership of the administration, felt um, any risk that detainee posed against the United States or its allies could be mitigated by a transfer with property assurances, proper security assurance. So it wasn't a clearance. It was a transfer. So almost
0: universally, the press did not refer to it that way. Correct.
2: Correct. Correct. We had
0: many, many, many New York Times editorials that blasted um, the slow pace of removals of people from Guantanamo uh, on grounds that these people are cleared and you're just kind of holding on to them.
2: I'm familiar with what you're referring to.
0: And so what's. You guys were sort of weirdly wedged between a group of people who said, don't transfer anybody under any circumstances, and a group of people who said, every time you transfer somebody, it's evidence that that person was innocent and that you were wrong to be holding them in the first place. And I'm interested in your thoughts on that kind of pincer action against against the efforts that you guys were trying to do that, frankly, had a, it had a very visible conservative opposition, Republican dimension, but it also had a left side. Right. And you guys were really caught
2: in between. So just talk about that. that. Well, I started as a history major, so I have a broad perspective. And you know, none of this surprises me. People have strong opinions on both sides. And you have to start off with the fact that a lot of the key evidence is classified. So we're trying to have an informed debate in our society and a democracy. But I knew that I knew a lot more than the people that were were making these arguments. They're trying to do the right thing. Everybody's trying to protect the United States. But we've had an ongoing liberty versus security debate since the beginning of our country. It's been more uh, forcefully made since 9-11. But those who want to keep Gitmo open, those who want to close it, all want to protect the United States. Um, you know, as you and I have discussed, there are some people who feel um, the way to protect the United States is through law enforcement. There are others who view it through a detention philosophy. But um, I, came, I, I studied this carefully when the administration asked me to, to come into office as the special envoy. I thought, what do I think? And I'm a former Marine, former general counsel of the Armed Services Committee. My father fought in World War II. My grandfather was in the Marines in in two wars. I want to protect the country. But I agreed with the Bush administration and the Obama administration that this particular facility hurt us more than helped us. Um, That's not saying we don't have a right to detain people. But at Gitmo, the rest of the world doesn't like it, rightly or wrongly, um, and it's not sustainable um, and so I felt this is the right thing to do. I knew I'd be criticized, but I've got a thick skin. If you can make it through boot camp, um, you, can, you can handle congressional criticism. You know, I'm the guy that Jim Trafficamp threatened to kick in the crotch live on C-SPAN in 2002. So, you know, what are they, what's a congressman going to do, yell at me? I felt I had to do um, what I felt was right. The, the people who disagreed, Congressman Walorski, former Senator Ayotte, they're good people. They're thoughtful people. There's a policy disagreement. But I looked at this and said, President Bush felt this is the right thing to do. President Obama felt it was the right thing to do. Four secretaries of defense, two of them Republican, every secretary of state. Um, so I, I knew going in, I'd have to have a thick skin. All right. So but you need to have these debates in a democracy.
0: No, fair enough. So yeah. one person who disagrees with the policy outcome that you guys were pursuing is the president's successor. And the you current got, President: The current president. Right. You guys got within 41 of getting it done, um, but he will not authorize further transfers. He hasn't rescinded the relevant executive orders. Um, and so where do you assess that the process is
2: now? right now again from from the outside i'm um, I'm told that the periodic review process is continuing to meet um, and that's that's good that's still considering if detainees can be transferred um
0: and and do you just to be clear, do you understand that as reflecting uh general mattis's will or do you understand that as something that the White House is okay with? Do you understand that as just inertia that hasn't been, uh, th- that, that hasn't, st- it hasn't right. stopped
2: yet? What's, how do you understand PRB's continuing? I think they're working through it. Um, um, I was frankly surprised there wasn't an executive order on day one, kind of bookmarking the, the Obama executive orders. Um, yeah, General Mattis, I think, he thinks this is an important, I have not spoken with him, I think he considers this to be important, an important issue, but there are other issues that have kind of taken front stage right now. Um, you know, there is a draft executive order that we've all seen. I think that the, that the president is going to um, put a temporary hold on transfers and consider bringing someone to Gitmo. So the timing of that, I think, is subject to other issues right now. Um, what I would say to President Trump is – yeah, it's, it's your prerogative to bring people to Guantanamo. Again, DOD has the right to detain um, the enemy, but I think we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to look at that carefully. And is ISIS covered by our domestic authority, the AUMF, which is AQ, Al-Qaeda, and Associated Forces? You know, there's a, you know, as, as you know, um, Ben, you know, there's a broad consensus we need to take another look at the AUMF, um, Obama tried, but that's one thing. But what I would say to the president is, once you've had time to look at this and look at the intelligence, uh, which I hope he does, I know his thoughts on intelligence, but look at the intelligence we have um, on these detainees, look at the transfer process, and look at the conclusion that the Bush administration and the Obama administration, Don Rumsfeld, under, under him and at the end gates, they transferred over, over 530 people from Gitmo. So even if you bring people in, keep the transfer process open if if another country wants their own citizen back it should it should be looked at carefully um not everyone but on a case-by-case basis i hope he comes to the conclusion that the two the two previous administrations came to that you can transfer some additional detainees carefully not all of them and that's going to be the issue to close gitmo where do you send them but it should be a two-way street it's just I hope he doesn't bring people to Gitmo. I think that's wrong for the reasons we've talked about a little bit and go into more detail. But if he wants to detain people to keep them off the battlefield, I don't disagree with that. I disagree with the location, but he should also transfer detainees back if we can do it safely. So
0: there are a lot of shoulds in that um uh in that in that set of sentences and if Donald Trump were here, I, I never know what Donald Trump will will say or do. But I, but he might say, "Wait a minute! I didn't get elected to to continue existing policy, either the Bush administration's or the Obama administration's policy. You know, I got I got elected to disrupt things, and I want to bring a lot of bad hombres to Guantanamo." Um. So my question is, first of all, to what extent do you think we have any tea leaves about, we know what he said during the campaign, we know what he said during the transition, what tea leaves do you see about where his head is on this stuff, if any? And uh, the second question is, well, let's start with that. Where, where, do, you know, you've know, said what he should well, do. Where do. What do you think he's thinking about doing
2: I, I, you know, based on the reporting of the draft executive order, I think he's thinking of doing what he said he'd do during the campaign, which is to bring people to Gitmo and then to stop the transfer process. But I think it's important that the draft executive order says stop the process temporarily. So, you know, that's I disagree with that, but that's his prerogative. Um, I don't think they've thought through uh, what their end game is going to be. It just bring some guys in, stop the transfer process, and I'm hopeful that he comes to the conclusion of the previous administrations. Um, I don't think there are a lot of candidates out there to bring, frankly. I don't think we're going to see hundreds and hundreds of detainees, maybe maybe a dozen, maybe 20, or onesies and twosies. Um, but uh, there's General Mattis, and he brought some folks with him, and there's the Deputy Secretary of Defense, who's the holdover, and then there are no other political appointees right now. So that the, the person who would look at this issue would be the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, and there's no nominee right now. So there's a career person who's in there right now who, you know, careerists holding positions during transitions aren't going to do anything, um, you know, radical. It's uh, Teresa Whalen who's going to do what she's instructed to do by either the Secretary of Defense, or if there are no instructions, she'll continue to implement the current policy. So I think we'll see soon, because it's my understanding there have been a couple periodic review board meetings um, in this administration. Um, It's not been publicly discussed that much, but it was my understanding that they were scheduled. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so you mentioned the prospect
0: of bringing new people to Guantanamo. Now, I think we could imagine a core al-Qaeda capture where somebody ends up showing up at Guantanamo or somebody who's sort of squarely within the AUMF. But the much more likely possibility is some ISIS captures. Uh, And so I find it hard. You, You alluded to this earlier. I find it hard to believe a good lawyer could counsel the bringing of an ISIS person to Guantanamo without concurrently seeking and getting a new AUMF. For the simple reason that if you, right now we have a somewhat attenuated reading of the AUMF that's non-justiciable. The moment you bring a detain, an ISIS detainee to Guantanamo, that reading of the AUMF becomes justiciable through that person's habeas process. And to the extent that you don't like what the D.C. Circuit does or maybe the Supreme Court does in that habeas case, you're kind of stuck with it, and stuck with it not merely in the habeas context but in the kinetic military action context. So with your lawyer hat on here, what are the chances that DOD would actually bring somebody, an ISIS person, to Guantanamo without a new AUMF that specifically includes ISIS?
2: I don't know, and I uh, I don't want to speculate. Um, you know, I just uh, the, the 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 president has said yeah during the campaign and through tweets. My understanding that his intent is to do so. So I know that the process would be, under the previous administration, that decision would be made by the National Security Council and all the agencies involved, and the lawyers would be involved, and the policymakers would be involved, the intel folks would be involved. But I agree with your premise that the AUMF is getting attenuated. If somebody were brought in that's ISIS under the current AUMF, it would have to be certainly a broad reading. So I don't know, but it seems like it's the intent of the president to do so. Um, If I were in the general counsel's office of DOD, I would look at it very carefully and, you know, that the lawyer's job is to raise the issues. And I would certainly say, Mr. President, you know, this is going to – this is a litigation risk. Um, Stepping back, with the president wanting to do what he said about Gitmo, I see the future for the folks who want to close Gitmo, it's going to be in the courts – um the ngos and the human and the rights community have made it clear they're going to fight this every step of the way so
0: so that must give you some it's not mix- a complete answer but right so that yeah. but, but but that prospect certainly gives me a lot of mixed feelings and i suspect may give you some mixed feelings too on so just speaking personally uh, i would not want to see The D.C. Circuit or the Supreme Court say the question of whether the conflict is over is a justiciable question and we declare that the conflict is over and therefore you have to release people from Guantanamo. On the other hand, um, I, I sympathize with the idea that sort of announcing during the campaign I'm going to bring a whole lot of bad guys to Guantanamo is a very reckless thing to do. And you could really imagine a tail wagging the dog situation here, in which to uh, to keep you know to keep the tough guy image, you have to bring people to Guantanamo in order to justify it being open. Um, and so, you know, from where you sit as a sort of DOD exile. Uh, who's not part of the human rights community, but who's been working with those guys to effectuate a lot of transfers. And, you know, how, what's, how do you feel when you or how do you react to the idea that now they're sort of going to litigate to try to do what you were trying to do through very careful diplomacy and interagency policy making?
2: Well, I still think Gitmo should be closed. So, if litigation is the way to go, um, that's the that's the way forward. Um, politically, the responsible thing to do is for Congress to step in and come up with either an AUMF for ISIS, as, as the former president uh, suggested, or an AUMF that's broader, which would a lot of the Republicans want. And you, as you know, Congress has thought about it. Writ, Broadly speaking, Republicans would want an AMF that doesn't have a scope as to time and geography and gives the president authority to detain, subject to congressional and court review. Most of the Democrats would like, okay, we'll have it for a particular country or some sort of geographic scope and a time scope, saying after a year or two, Congress would need to reauthorize it. Um, I think Congress should have that debate, Um, as you know. We're in a, a polarized world uh, where Congress doesn't always get around to what it, it should do. But I would like to see Congress look into the issue. And then I think I, I agree with President Obama. Closing Gitmo is a moral and a national security imperative. It's I can't quantify. I can't give you the numbers, but I think it's radicalizing a lot of people and it's going to hurt us in the end. And I think we need to close it. The way to do it is it, – it, so one policy aspect is AMF. The other way is, okay, how do we close it safely and deal with the 26 who currently we feel can't be transferred? If you can't send them back to their home country, if you can't do it to an international community, if you can't do it um, at Gitmo, the only place is domestically in the United States. Let's find a safe place, um, a military brig or uh, another facility that can handle 30 people safely. And then maybe as a compromise, um, if there are additional detainees, bring them that to that location. It's not a perfect solution, but it, 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 it protects the country. It removes the Gitmo issue. People still say it's Gitmo North, but the original uh, arguments against Gitmo are basically taken away, not completely. If it's transparent and it's subject to judicial process, it it addresses many of the concerns of the international community, not all of them. Certainly, the bad guys will still hold it against us, but we're trying to to talk to the reasonable people in the international community.
0: So what comes next for you? You've been toiling (laughs) in these trenches for a lot of years now, Uh, and now January 20th, you walked out the door— Turned out the lights.
2: What? February third, I stayed for two more weeks because gotcha. uh, I was on a contract. But four things: getting in shape and exercising, more times with my kids. Um, I'm teaching two classes at Georgetown, and then thinking about a long term solution. But I want to, I want to stay involved in policy. I think this is important, so I'm, I'm thinking about how I can do that. But I want to keep involved in the, in these issues.
0: Thank you very much for joining
2: us. Thank you, Ben. My pleasure. And I appreciate all the work you do. I read Lawfare every day religiously.
0: Uh, And let the record reflect that uh, your check for that statement is in the mail.
1: (laughs) The Lawfare Podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. Our music is performed by Sophia Yan. Please spread the word and promote the Lawfare Podcast via your social networks. Thanks for listening.
0: Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this show ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.